The Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love God and for those who are the called according to His purpose. And sometimes we may not understand or recognize how God's going to turn things out for our good and His glory, but He always does. God is so faithful, and whatever He brings into our lives, you can be sure that it does indeed work for your good and His glory. So I want to talk to you for the next little while this morning about how God demonstrates His faithfulness. So if you would find your copy of God's Word, join me in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, I want to read for you today a very familiar passage from the life of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17, a couple of weeks ago, I introduced this man Elijah to you uh, in this series through Kings in a message entitled, The Prophet Meets the King. And it is when Ahab, the uh, wicked king of Israel, was confronted by Elijah, and it was the first time in the Scriptures that we see this man who tells the king that uh, it is not going to rain for a period of three years and great calamity is going to fall on the nation because of Ahab's wickedness. So today we're going to unpack that just a little bit. First Kings chapter 17. Follow with me as we look at God demonstrates his faithfulness. Verse 1 says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get hence and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook that I have commanded, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, <clears throat> because there had been no rain in the land. So may God add his blessings today as we look at God demonstrates his faithfulness. It was in January of 2020 when our mission team returned from a wonderful experience in Guyana, South America. We spent a number of days there. Um, part of our team were involved in construction of a church. Uh, some of us were involved in teaching and preaching, and we just had a wonderful, wonderful trip there in a small village called Warapoka in Guyana. And when we returned back home in January, little did we know all that was waiting for us and for our entire nation and the world, for that matter, just around the corner. Because on January the 21st of that year, America's first case of COVID-19 was confirmed in Washington State. Can you believe that's been two and a half years ago? We witnessed the coronavirus wash across our country, really across the globe, like a tsunami. I remember the former governor of New York City, he was the sitting governor at the time, he said this. He said, we were looking at a freight train coming across the country, and now we're looking at a bullet train because it just picked up speed. By February the 3rd, our country had declared a public health emergency. On March the 11th, the Center for Disease Control declared COVID-19 to be a global pandemic. And two days later, the United States had declared a national emergency. 
two and a half years ago, and in many ways it seems like it was just yesterday. I remember I was in our fellowship hall uh, that Saturday evening, if I remember it correctly. Uh, we were uh, with one of our Sunday school classes and having a good time, a fellowship, and received word that our governor had just issued executive orders that there were to be no mass gatherings. And we had to quickly kind of scramble and we canceled the service for the next morning. And then for the next number of weeks, we sheltered in place. Remember those days? We couldn't have public worship. I remember a number of times coming right into this very place, standing here all by myself except the one who was running sound and video, and I'm preaching to an empty auditorium just before a video camera. On March the 28th, 2020, I preached a message from the life of Elijah from this text in 1 Kings chapter 17, a message entitled, A Time of Drought and Doubt. Because during those days, we didn't know what the future held. We didn't know what was going to happen with the coronavirus. We didn't know how bad it may get and how much our lives may continue to change. And we were on the opposite end looking forward. Now we're kind of looking back and, and we see kind of the good and the bad of everything that transpired during those times of difficulty. But at that time, it was all brand new and we were looking into the future with a great time of uncertainty and doubt. And God had just led me to the life of Elijah during those days because Elijah was a man who had to experience a time of quarantine, a time of shelter in place, if you will, where God had sent him to a little brook on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and he said, Elijah, you stay here. I'm going to take care of you, but you stay here until further notice. But after a period of time when Elijah is there by that brook that once active, bubbling brook, the water level began to get lower and lower. And after a while, it was only a trickle. And a little while later, what was once the life-giving waters of the brook Cherith was nothing more than a dried-up stream bed. And Elijah was faced with a crisis of belief. What is he to do? God led him to this place. God told him that he would take care of him. God said that he would provide for him. But now here he is in a situation isolated from friends, isolated from family, isolated from fellowship with anybody, and his brook has dried up. God had promised him, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you. I'll send the ravens to bring you food during the day. You'll drink of this brook um, anytime that you're thirsty, and you can be sure that I'll take care of you. And it looked like things were going pretty good to start with. But over time, it got a little more, little more difficult, a little harder, and a little more frightening for Elijah. And Elijah needed then what we always need in our lives. Whenever you go through hardship, whether it's your own personal sickness, whether it's your own personal problems that is so deep and so personal to you that you can't share that with anyone, it is good to know that you've got the presence of God and His faithfulness with you who says that He's got the whole world in His hands and that He knows you and that He loves you and He wants to use even the most difficult of times to bring glory to himself and to work it out for your good. And working it out for your good ultimately brings glory to him. So I want us to go back and revisit this scene that we looked at in, in March the 28th, 2020, 
But today we're going to look at it not as a time of doubt and drought, but today what we're going to look at is how God demonstrates His faithfulness. Because now, though the coronavirus is certainly not over, we are two and a half years removed from when it was first um, presented itself here in the United States, but we now look back and we just see every step of the way how God demonstrated His faithfulness. And if God has brought us safe thus far, John Newton said, it'll be His grace that will lead us home. So let me give you a couple of things as we look at this today. First of all, I want you to jot down that the promises of God reveal God Himself. When God makes a promise, and the Scripture tells us that He is not slack concerning His promises, when He makes a promise, that promise is specifically designed to reveal something about His nature, His character, something about Himself. Certainly here, we're going to see how God reveals His faithfulness. Let's look at it in verse 1. The Bible says, And Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years, but according to my word. Now you remember, you remember Elijah's confrontation with Ahab. And you remember a little bit about Ahab. He was the most wicked king Israel ever experienced. He was quite a character. In fact, we looked at these verses a couple of weeks ago when we introduced this to you, but I want to remind you of this. Go back to chapter 16 and look with me in verse 29. (coughs) Pardon me. Chapter 16, verse number 29. And in the 30 and 8th year of the king of Judah began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, now notice this, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. How would you like to have that on your resume? That you were the worst of the worst of the worst. There were 29 kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. Not a single one was a good king or a godly king. Ahab was the worst of the worst of the worst. Notice the Bible says, verse, 30, uh, verse 31, It came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he returned, excuse me, and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab, notice this now, did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings that were before him. So during his 22 years, he did more to provoke God, more to to upset God than all of the kings who had come before him. One of the things that the Scripture tells us that Ahab did is that he marries a woman who is equally as wicked as himself. Her name was Jezebel. The Bible says she is the daughter of a Sidonian king. You remember in the New Testament, the Bible talks about Jesus oftentimes going to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is modern-day Lebanon. That's where Jezebel was born. She was born in Sidon, there in Lebanon. Her father was a king, and she had no knowledge, no understanding of the one true God, Jehovah. In fact, her background was steeped in what's called Baal 
worship. Baal was the fertility god in the pantheon of the pagan gods. It is said that Baal was responsible to give life to the crops. Baal was responsible to uh, help uh, a male and female bring children uh, into this world. And in Jezebel's background, she worshipped this god Baal. And when she and Ahab got married, he uh, built for her a shrine or a place of worship where all in Israel, rather than worshiping the one true God that led them out of Egypt, the one true God who promised to send them the Messiah, they decided they would build this shrine or this worship center for Baal, and they would worship here, this false God here in idolatry. In fact, for his 22 years in doing this, listen, Idolatry was commonplace in the minds and the lives of the Jewish people at this particular time. So really, it was a low point. It was a low point in in Israel's life. It was a low point in their history. And it was in this time of confusion that God sends this man, Elijah. And when Elijah comes on the scene, he doesn't have a popular message for the king. He has a very disturbing message. What is his message? He says... God sent me here to tell you that it's not going to rain. The heavens are going to be shut up. The book of James says it'll be a period of three and a half years. Chapter 18 also says it's going to be that period of time for three and a half years. Now, we're sitting here at Highland Park in 2022 in, uh, in wonderful, wonderful conditions. Let your mind go back and put yourself in the sandals of Elijah for just a moment. How would you feel today? If God said to you, you are to go and stand before, let's say, Kim Jong-un in Korea and say to him, uh, uh, Kim, whatever they call him, dear leader, whatever it is, God sent me here to tell you it's not going to rain here in Korea for the next three and a half years. And because it's not going to rain, your crops are going to fail, your livestock's going to die, your your empire is going to crumble, your kingdom's going to fall, and there's going to be an uprising in your kingdom. I wouldn't want that assignment, would you? How would you you feel if the Lord were to say to you, go to Vladimir Putin today and say to him, God told me to tell you for the next three and a half years it's not going to rain. At the end of that time, you're no longer going to be the president of Russia or whatever he is today. I wouldn't want that assignment. That's Elijah's situation. God says, you go to this wicked king. Listen, do you know when Ahab was ruling, he had closed all of the schools of the prophets, the seminaries that trained um, Bible-preaching preachers. He had closed them. He had killed the prophets and run those that he didn't kill. He ran them out of town. Now, I would not be too fond to take Elijah or to be Elijah and to take this message and go to King Ahab and say to him, listen, God sent me here to tell you that it's not going to rain for three years. And listen, nothing can live without water. Your rivers are going to dry up. Your livestock is going to die. Your crops are going to fail. Your people are going to revolt. And it is going to be chaos in your country for the next three years. And a half years. But yet, that was the message that God gives Elijah to go give to King Ahab. And in so doing, God is going to say to Elijah, Listen, Elijah, you can trust me. 
You can trust me because I'm going to use this scene to demonstrate my faithfulness to you and to demonstrate to Ahab who the one true God of Israel really is. So look what happens. Look in verse 2. So the word of the Lord came to him saying, this is after he delivers the message to Ahab, because what's going to happen? When Elijah gives the message to Ahab, Ahab's going to shoot the messenger. He's going to try his best to kill Elijah. So Elijah has to kind of shelter in place, or he has to go quarantine, if you will. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, verse 3, Get hence and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. It's the only chapter in the Bible where that little brook, Cherith, is mentioned. But it's a very interesting place. It's a little brook that was on, from what I've read, the eastern side of Jordan. And the word itself means piercing or separated. It has the idea of being cut off or being separated from others, being isolated. So Elijah, once he gives Ahab this message, is to flee out into this wilderness on the eastern side of the Jordan, and there he is to camp out by this little brook, and he's going to be isolated. Not just, not just isolated, but he's going to be kind of in solitary confinement, away from his friends, away from his family, away from his loved ones, in solitary confinement. Now here was a man, one of the greatest men in the Scripture, cut off from fellowship with other people. Here was a man who would call fire down from heaven, is now camping out by this little brook in a time of loneliness all by himself. A man whom, in a few chapters you're going to see, had such great faith that he raises the widow's son from the dead. But now he is isolated, separated. He is in solitary confinement here, camping out by this little brook. And I would imagine, even though God's going to provide for him, that it was still a time of great loneliness and still a time of uncertainty in his life. He had these shelter-in-place orders from God. So cut off from family and friends. Now listen, we are made to be social people. God created us that way. He created us for fellowship. I uh, appreciate the opportunities that we had to, to, uh, to preach uh, online and have television ministries when we couldn't get together in person, but there's nothing like being together in person, is there? And being able to see one another and fellowship with each other and get to speak to each other, that's because God made us to be social people, and He wants us to fellowship and have good fellowship with one another. That's why the Bible says, don't uh, forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do, because we draw strength and we draw encouragement when we get to see one another and to say hello to one another and listen to all that what God is, is doing in each other's lives. So when Elijah was segregated or isolated from all of his friends, all of his family, and everybody camped out there by the little brook Cherith. No doubt he was afraid because Jezebel's looking for him, Ahab's looking for him. There was worry in his life because he was like us in 2020, still looking to see what the coronavirus might do. He was camped out in this brook thinking, I wonder when Ahab's going to discover me. I wonder when Jezebel and her cohorts are going to uncover this hiding place. And there was worry, there was fear, there was doubt. But listen to what the psalmist said. When anxiety is great within me, 
Your consolation brought joy to my soul. Now listen, that is a great verse to remember. Psalm uh, 94. When anxiety is great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. In those times when it's like everything is out of your control, you've got a, a sick loved one that you can't fix. You've got a personal problem that you can't solve. You've got a work-related problem that's outside your ability to fix. And it does generate anxiety in your soul. The psalmist says, when anxiety is great within me, your consolation brings joy to my soul. So here is Elijah now, sequestered, if you will. Solitary confinement by this little brook. Look in verse 4. He says, go and hide yourself by the brook that is before Jordan. Verse 4. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, this is God's promise to Elijah. He says, Elijah, you go to the brook, I'm going to take care of you. Elijah, you go and you isolate yourself here, I'm going to send the ravens to bring you food. I'm going to let this brook flow so you'll have something to drink. And in every way, I promise that I'm going to take care of you. Because all of God's promises reveal something about his character. His promises reveal that he's a loving God, that he's a kind, generous, compassionate, long-suffering, merciful God who loves us with an everlasting love. The Bible says not one bit of his promises have ever failed. All of his promises demonstrate something about him. For example, the Lord used this time in Elijah's life to say, Elijah, you can trust me that I promise I'm going to take care of your daily needs. You remember the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, you pray after this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said this portion, he says, give us this day our daily bread. That's what Elijah was learning when he was down by that brook. And every day he had to pray and depend on the ravens from heaven to come and bring him something to eat. He was dependent upon God every day, knowing that the promise that God had made that he's going to take care of him revealed the fact that God is faithful and God was not going to put him out there to starve, not going to put him out there to desert him, but every day God would make sure that he's taken care of. The Bible says in Lamentations 3, it's of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So first of all, the Lord used this time in Elijah's life to teach him about his promises. But also that God was going to use this time to protect him. You know, whatever you go through in your life, God is working on both ends of that situation. We may see it as a struggle, a hardship, a difficulty that, that has no good sense or no good reason behind it. And God may or he may not ever tell us why, but this is what he does promise, that all things, even the things that you think crush you, work for your good. Now, I don't understand how that can happen. I don't understand how maybe getting laid off from your job works to good, but maybe if you've experienced that and God turned it around, you know what that means. I don't understand how cancer can work for your good, but maybe if you've been through that, through that and you've watched God work, that you can speak to that better than I could speak to that. 
But God's promises says everything that comes into your life, first of all, passes through God's hands, and it is designed for your good and to bring glory ultimately to Him. So God is teaching Isaiah, or excuse me, Elijah, that you can always count on me, that you can always depend on my faithfulness, that I didn't lead you out here to desert you, but I'm going to give you your daily bread. But thirdly, God was also going to say to Ahab, Ahab, I want you now to recognize who the real God is. Not Jezebel's God, Baal, but it's the one true God of Israel. And to demonstrate that, I'm going to shut up the heavens for you for over three years. So all the promises of God reveal something about himself. But secondly, I want you to jot down, and this is so important, the provision of God brings blessings when we live in obedience. The promises of God reveal God himself. But the provision of God brings blessings when we live in his obedience. Look at this. Go to verse 5. If you're listening, say amen. Amen. So he went and did, look at his obedience. The provision, God's going to give him what he needs as long as he's walking in obedience. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went just as God had commanded, and he dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before the Jordan. Underline that, he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Sometimes we want what we want, but we forget about his provision is really realized in our lives when we do what God asks us to do. We want what we want, whether we do what God wants us to do or not. But Elijah, the Bible says, he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. One translation says, so he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Cherith Ravine, east of Jordan, and he stayed there. So God's provision, now listen carefully, was tied to a specific place. Elijah, if you'll go here, and you'll stay here, and you'll do what I ask you to do, I'll provide for you. So let me say it again. God's provision was tied to a specific place. If you'll go here and stay here, I'll take care of you. You get cold feet and you run and you forget to trust me and you forget to live on my promises, then you're going to be on your own. But God's provision was tied to a specific place. It was here at this little brook where the ravens were. It was here at this little brook where the water was provided. And God was saying, if you want to see me work, Elijah, you have to trust me first. And then you'll see my hand. But oftentimes we get that backwards and we say, God, if you'll show me, then I'll trust you. But the Lord says, no, you just trust me. You just believe. You just live for me. You just live in obedience. And then you're going to see the provision. In fact, underline these words. Look at how Elijah does indeed obey God. Go to verse number 3 and uh, look at what the Lord says to him. You might want to underline this. Go hide by the brook. Go hide yourself by the brook, verse 3. Again, verse 5. <coughs> Pardon me. He went and did <clears throat> according to the word of the Lord. Verse 5 again. He went and he dwelt by or he stayed by the brook. Verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning. There was God's command followed by Elijah's obedience followed by God's provision. That is a great flow, isn't it? God's command, Elijah's response, God's provision. His provision is tied to 
our obedience. You know, you never read about Elijah saying, God, I don't want to go there. Or, God, I'm not going to stay there. You never read about him complaining. You never read about him fussing. You never read about him trying to make a deal with God, at least at this point in his life. He just simply heard the command from God. He followed that command in obedience. And then, now listen carefully, that's when he experienced God work a miracle in his life. And if we want to experience God work miracles in our lives, if we want him to to answer prayer in our lives, it'll be when we live in obedience to what he's really asked us to do, to obey him. God's blessings came after the obedience, not before. God says, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is where I want you to stay. This is what you're to do when you're there. Elijah never fights that. He just obeys. And God uses the birds to feed him during the days and the nights and the water to provide for him. Do you know sometimes it is in those moments where we have a hard time really trusting God. That if we'll trust Him anyway, that what He's doing is preparing us for something else on down the road. It is in those hard times when we can't understand what He's doing and we're tempted to kind of go it on our own that God says, if you'll really just trust me in this, what I'm doing is I'm preparing you for something even greater than this. And that's exactly what he was doing in Elijah's life. All alone, all by himself, isolated from friends and family, separated right there at the little brook. God's provision would bring his blessings when he lives in obedience. Can you imagine? When you wake up in the morning, these ravens fly by and they drop off your breakfast to you. And then at night, they fly back again, and they drop off your supper to you. Day after day, it was God demonstrating his faithfulness. I've not forgotten you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to take care for you. But thirdly, I want you to see how the providence of God works the way I introduced this sermon for your good and his glory. So let me give you those three points together. The promises of God reveal God himself. The provision of God brings God's blessings when we live in obedience. But thirdly, the providence of God works for our good and His glory. Just because God doesn't give us all the information ahead of time does not mean that He's not working. And it does not mean that He's not working for our good. He's always working for our good. Notice what happens in verse 7. Verse 6 says, the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and the flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. But look what happens, verse 7. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. This is now a crisis of belief for Elijah. What is he supposed to do now? He's where God told him to go, doing what God asked him to do. And now suddenly the life-giving waters of that little brook had dried up. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll writes about that. He writes, one morning Elijah noticed that the brook wasn't gushing over the rocks or bubbling as freely as it had in days past. Since that single stream of water was his lifeline, he checked it carefully. Over the next few days, he watched it dwindle and shrink until it was only a trickle. Then one morning, there was no water, only wet sand. 
The hot wind soon siphoned, even the dampness in the sand hardened. And before long, cracks appeared in the parched bed of the brook. No more water, the brook had dried up. Does that experience sound familiar to you? At one time, you knew the joy of a full bank account, a booming business, an exciting, expanding career, wonderful health, but the brook has dried up, end of quote. Maybe there are times in your life where you've experienced good health, but that's been long gone. And now it's one doctor's appointment after another. Or maybe there have been times when you had much greater job security than what you have now, and you felt like the brook has dried up. How do you trust? How do you depend on God? How do you wait for Him to come through and demonstrate His faithfulness to you? Do you know, listen, I know you know this, but, and I don't want it to be oversimplified, but when things are good, God is good. But when things are not good, God is still good. He's good all the time. Amen, church? He's good all the time in everything that we go through. He will never fail you. He will never fail those who trust Him. And you may feel like from time to time your brook is dried up and you don't know where to turn. But that's just an opportunity for God to demonstrate to you His incredible faithfulness. What did God say to Abraham about his son? Take your only son Isaac, 15 years old, strap a, a, a cord of firewood or a, a load of firewood to his back, take him up to Mount Moriah, lay him down on that altar and kill your son. And Abraham, that's the last thing he wanted to do, but he did what God asked him to do. And he put the firewood on Isaac, and they went up to that altar, and Abraham laid him down there as he was ready to sacrifice his son. God didn't want him to kill his son. God just wanted him to be willing to do whatever God had asked. And God provided a ram that was caught in the thicket as a substitute for Isaac. But it was an opportunity for God to demonstrate his faithfulness. When Joseph's brothers hated him so much, they took his coat of many colors and soaked it in animal blood, sent it back to the dad saying that an animal has killed Joseph, he's dead. When in reality they had thrown him in a well, sold him to a, hand, a band of Ishmaelite travelers. He spent years in an Egyptian prison over something that he had never done. Finally got out of prison, was accused of, of something that he didn't do, went back into prison. And what God was doing in Joseph's life is saying, Joseph, I know you feel like your brook is dried up, but it's a great opportunity for me to demonstrate to you my faithfulness. And though you don't understand it, what I'm doing is I'm working this for your good in such a way that it'll bring me glory. You read the book of Ruth. Ruth, her husband dies. And she's left what she believes is going to be destitute. And she takes a little basket and she's gleaning in the field and she's picking up handfuls that had been left on purpose by Boaz whom she didn't know that he had done this for her. And she was picking up these handfuls on purpose and it was just God's way of saying, Ruth, I provided this for you during a time that you think since you've experienced the death of your husband that your brook has dried up. It's my way to demonstrate my faithfulness to you to let you know, Ruth, that I'm never going to desert you, that you can always trust me. Psalm 78 records the nation of Israel during the years that they were walking through the Sinai Desert. And they kind of complain toward God about their, their lot. And they say, can God set a table in the wilderness? And what does God do? He sends them manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. It literally means 
What is it? That's what the word manna means. What is it? They'd wake up every morning, come out of their tent, and the Bible says the ground is just covered in these, in these white wafers, manna that God had sent down to show them, yeah, I can provide a table in the wilderness. It's just an opportunity for me to demonstrate my faithfulness. Even the Lord Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And God would say to his son, this is an opportunity for me to demonstrate my faithfulness to you, to send you to the cross to redeem all of humanity. And Jesus would say, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe there are times when you go through those dry seasons and you feel like you've been totally abandoned by God. You may even feel like you've been abandoned or forgotten by everybody. But listen, just the opposite. Just the opposite is true. You're never forgotten by God. You're never abandoned by God. And those moments of dryness are just simply opportunities that God has put in your path so he can demonstrate to you his faithfulness. Do you know if we never had any trouble, I don't think we would ever really appreciate who God is the way we appreciate him when you go through a hard time in your life. You see, when you are, when you are not having any trouble, it's like, it's like God's faithfulness is theoretical. But when we have trouble, God's faithfulness becomes experiential. And it's not just something we read about, but his faithfulness is something that we experience as he walks with us through every trial and trouble of life. So regardless of what happens, listen, there's two constants in our lives that will never change. God is always alive and well on his throne, and God always knows what he's doing. What he's doing in my life and your life. Now, I told you that I preached from this text all the way back March 28, 2020. So I went back and I dug out some of my notes. And I think I said something like this. Um, sounded pretty profound, so I had to have gotten it from somewhere. It couldn't have been mine. But anyway, this is what I said. Quote. Now remember, this was March 2022. Or 2020. I want to challenge you and myself to spend our time meditating on God and all the lessons He's teaching us. Let's spend our time thanking God for all the good things He's given us. My prayer through this pandemic is that we all would experience God in a way that would prove Himself faithful in such a way that more and more people would be drawn to Him. In the blink of an eye... Everything we have can be taken away, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. End of quote. Now, can I say to you, here we are two and a half years later looking back, and I think we can all say God has proved himself faithful. Amen, church? In every situation of life, he always proves himself faithful. Listen, for Elijah, the source of God's grace was that I've commanded the ravens to provide for you. The methods of God's grace was the birds would come every day and the brook would roll and run and the water, even when it started to dry up, God is going to now turn Elijah from this little brook and send him to the house of a widow 
And God's once again going to show his provision. The consistency of God's grace, every day God took care of him. And then the sufficiency of God's grace, when the God let the brook dry up, he had another method to take care of Elijah. Sometime back, I read the story of a, <clears throat> a high-rise uh, building in, uh, in a city somewhere that uh, after the construction was over, <clears throat> the uh, employees who worked in that building as well as those who were residents in that, in that building began to complain because the elevators were so slow. And they had to wait and wait and wait for the elevator to arrive. And uh, what they discovered, the engineers discovered, is that the architect, based on the occupancy of the building, did not include enough elevator space or enough elevators to house the large numbers of people that would be using the elevator. So people were complaining, and, and, and this large high-rise, they didn't know how to address this, and they looked at a number of different things. They thought, well, maybe we could rotate the schedules, let people in and out at different times so there's not such a large volume at one time, but that didn't seem to work for people's schedules. They thought maybe we can retrofit a new elevator shaft somehow in the middle of this building. That didn't work either. Too expensive. And finally, after a series of ideas, they came up with a very unique idea that fixed the problem. What they decided to do was not build a new elevator shaft, not rotate schedules. What they decided to do <clears throat> was to put mirrored doors on the elevators and mirrors around the entrance of the elevator. And what they discovered is that when people were waiting for their floor, they were so interested at looking at themselves in the mirror, they forgot about the wait for the elevator. That's pretty funny, isn't it? Sometimes we get so much of our attention on ourselves, and we are looking, we're looking so much at self and become enamored with self, and we think it's all about us. It's not about us at all. It is about God and it is about God's faithfulness. And sometimes he leads us in places that we don't understand. And he says, you just trust my promises. And if you trust my promises, then that provision will be there. And as that provision is there, my providence will always be there to guide you. So you don't have to look at yourself and trust yourself. We just keep looking at the Lord and we trust him as he demonstrates he's faithful. And he's always faithful. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being a faithful, loving God who will never leave us and never forsake us. God, as we looked at this little story of Elijah today and uh, we have uncovered some of these truths, Lord, it is just a reminder to us that indeed you are always there for us and you never leave us and you never forsake us. And God, we just celebrate the fact that you're so good to us. Lord, as we have this time of invitation, we just encourage people to make public decisions. If there's one here today that has never made that decision to follow Christ, then I pray that today during this time of invitation, they would come and simply say, Pastor Darrell, I want to be a Christian today. Maybe others who want to unite with our church family or others who just want to come and pray. God, we ask that you would take this invitation and that you would use it in a way that would honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.